verse 9, and we'll read through the end of the chapter there of Revelation. Thank you, brother. Praise the Lord. Revelation 1 and verse 9. This morning, we're going to be dealing with the day of the Lord. This is the fifth message in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. We are going in depth through the book of Revelation, and I'm excited about it. Amen. Verse 9, if you have that, say, praise the Lord. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the owl that is called Patmos, which literally means the place of my killing, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Say with me, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Did you see the connection? The trumpet in the day of the Lord. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna and unto Pergamos, unto Thyatira and unto Sardis and unto Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Look at your neighbor and say his countenance was as the sun, S-U-N, shineth in his strength. All right, so that speaks of the day of the Lord. When you talk about S-U-N, the sun. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, the things which shall be hereafter. The things which, what? Thou hast seen. The things which are, and the things that shall be hereafter. There is a definitive, a progressive, and a ultimate or consummative fulfillment of the book of Revelation. It's not just a book of ultimates. It's not just talking about the future. It's talking about the past. Okay, you with me here? So he says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches father god i thank you god for your awesome presence your awesome word today god that you would help me you would inspire me your word is already anointed now put my hands and my mouth and my body everything into your hands for use today in jesus name amen you may be seated the day of the lord in amos chapter 5 amos is the first prophet 
that um, basically uses the term the day of the Lord. But it's not the first occurrence in Scripture. It's only the first time the term is used. Let me read to you Amos 5 and verse 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. And I'm coming from Revelation. Let me take you back there so you'll know where we're looking at here. Verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Okay. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Now notice he doesn't say the night of the Lord is night or darkness and not light. He says the day of the Lord is darkness to you and not light. Do you see that? As if in verse 19, a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent met him. Praise the Lord. Verse 20. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? Even very dark and no brightness in it. So there's almost seems like a contradiction. We talk about day of the Lord. He says the day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Even very darkness and no brightness in it. Almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? The minor prophet Joel deals with the day of the Lord also. In Joel 2 verse 1, he says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. He, Joel says it's, in, it's nigh at hand, it's within reach. In Amos' day, he's got people who were looking forward to the day of the Lord. And we're talking about the people of God. They're looking forward to the day of the Lord. And Amos says, what is that day to you? But darkness and not brightness. He said, to them. And then Joel says, concerning the day of the Lord, he addresses the people in his day. He says, for it's nigh at hand. It's not something that's way off in the future only. He says it's literally within reach in your time. Do you see that? He says in verse 2, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and the strong, there hath not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even the years of many generations. So he puts it in their time. In verse 3 he says, A fire devoureth before him, saith fire, devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. Verse 10, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining now get all of these terms understand every one of these words are important verse 11 and the lord shall utter his voice before his army for his camp is very great for he is strong that executeth his word for the day of the lord is great and very terrible and who can abide it 
when you talk about the day of the Lord, you're talking about a time when God is coming. You're talking about when God burst into time. So God coming and also, we've read there in Joel, it's associated with God coming in clouds. Hello, clouds. We already preached that to you. That he's coming in clouds and then with clouds. So first, he comes in clouds. He comes in you by way of manifestation. Then he comes with clouds, Revelation 1-7, in an ultimate sense. And it speaks of the glory cloud. It speaks of you. So when I talk about the day of the Lord, I'm talking about him coming in clouds God bursting into time and coming in clouds but I'm not talking about the atmosphere clouds I'm talking about his people and I'm talking about the glory cloud all right when you talk about the day of the Lord it also is a time of a collapsing universe it's when terms like a collapsing universe is used in association with the day of the Lord it is his judgment day his judgment day. It is salvation for the saints and judgment for the wicked. Salvation for the saints, but wrath for the wicked. Do you understand that? It is light for the saved, but darkness for the unsaved. So you got two things happening here. For the saved, it's light, it's day, it's salvation. It's glory. It's his coming to gather us up. Episanago. Gather us up to him. Okay, you with me here at this point? But the day of the Lord is not new to Amos, although he speaks about it first or uses the term first. It's not new to Amos and it's not new to the people of his day. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. See, the day of the Lord is not some new occurrence to the book of Revelation. It can't be. It has, because the book of Revelation is the book of ultimates, it has to be spoken of before. And it is in Genesis. And then it's spoken about in the Minor Prophets. And then it's, it's uh, in the day of Jesus, His day. And then it's in the future time. Now, I know that's blowing your mind. Because we've always been or read or been taught that the day of the Lord is that seven-year tribulation period that's going to come on this world. But I'm telling you today that that is not the case. It is not the only time that we have the day of the Lord. With me here? And the seven-year tribulation period is not even the day of the Lord. And I'm going to prove it to you by the word of the Lord today. Hallelujah. Okay? So first of all, to understand the day of the Lord, we've got to go back to where it is its first occurrence. Not where it's first mentioned, but its first occurrence. Amos 5 is when it's first mentioned. So we're going to look at the day of the Lord in the beginning, then progressively, and then in the ultimate sense. He which was, which is, and which is to come. And there's so many ways to look at the book of Revelation. One is from the, the viewpoint of redemption. We taught that to you. We taught the whole book of Revelation from the viewpoint of redemption. Today, though, our focus is primarily on the ultimate fulfillment of the day of the Lord. Okay, so then what is the day of the Lord? It's God coming in clouds. It's God bursting into time. It is collapsing universe terminology. It is judgment day. It is salvation for the saints, but wrath for the wicked. It is light for the saved, and it's darkness for the unsaved. 
Okay, Genesis 1.5. And God called the light day. So when you talk about the day of the Lord, God defines light by calling light day. So the day of the Lord is a time of light. It's a time of brightness. God called light day and the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. Each one of these days in the book of Genesis, in a sense, is a day of the Lord. It is not the day of the Lord, but it is a day of the Lord. You with me here? And it speaks of a time of light. Praise the Lord. God created this light. Now, Revelation 1.5, I believe that this is uncreated light. This is God himself moving over this earth. He's the true light. He is the light of the world. God is light. But he created light, natural light, to mirror him or to reflect him or to teach you about him. So when I talk about the day of the Lord, I'm talking about the light of the Lord. It's a teaching about God in light. And when I talk about the rising of the sun, S-U-N, or the day of the Lord, I'm talking about him bringing in a new day. Or he's bringing in a new age. He is the light of the world. You understand? And so light... It goes on down in Genesis. It tells us that he created the sun to rule by day and the moon to rule by night. Do you understand that? This is good stuff. And so when you talk about in the book of Genesis, the sun ruling by day and the moon ruling by night, you're talking about what? Earthly rulers. And so these earthly rulers have to collapse. There has to be a collapse of the universe so that the true sun, S-U-N, can be seen. So that the true light, Jesus, can be seen. Do you understand? All right. Praise God. Now stay with me here just a little bit. So that the, the sun, S-U-N, is to be a mirror of the true light God himself. The Bible talks about earthly rulers, though, who are suns and stars and moons and in the book of revelation you see these collapsing universe terminology what we have there is not just a literal darkening of the sun or a literally moon turned to blood what we have is the putting out of earthly rulers okay so he can bring in his new creation he's got to get rid of the old creation so just hang here with me all right so when I talk about the day of the Lord, I'm talking about a collapsing universe time. I'm talking about when God burst into time. I'm talking about when the light of the world shows up. I'm talking about when it's salvation for the righteous and judgment upon the wicked. Do you understand? 1 Timothy 6, 14. It says this about God. It says that thou keep his commandments without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about all these words last week that talk about his coming, his appearing, epiphania, his bright appearance, coming as a radiant one, the light. Uh, he is light, okay? In, in verse 15 it says, which in times 
In his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the true King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 16. Who only hath immortality. Get it. You're going to need this at the end. Because I'm going to show you by the grace of God. That we are not protected from his wrath to come by a pre-tribulational rapture. Nor are we protected from his wrath by a mid-tribulational rapture. We are protected from the day of the Lord or his wrath which is post-tribulational. By a glorified body or an immortal body. Praise the Lord. So hang on to that. He alone hath immortality. Dwelling in the light which, is, which no man can approach unto. Whom no man hath seen nor can see. To whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is the light. If, come on. If you were to see Jesus in all of his glory, you would die in an instant. Your body is not capable of standing in that kind of daylight. You can't stay. You can't stand in the day of the Lord. Who shall abide the day of the Lord? Who shall be able to stand in the day of the Lord? You can't. He's coming in such glory and brilliance and brightness and light. Brighter than the noonday sun. His countenance is as the sun shineth in its strength. You can't abide it without getting an immortal body or glorified body yourself. Now watch this. He goes on and says, this is Psalm 84, 11. When you talk about the day of the Lord, then you're talking about light. And you're talking about his coming. Say his coming. Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun, S-U-N. It doesn't say the Lord God is a sun, S-O-N. It says the Lord God is a sun, S-U-N. So when you talk about the day of the Lord, praise God, you talk about the sun that he put there to rule by day and the moon to rule by night. In the spiritual sense, he is the sun, S-U-N, God, is the sun, S-U-N, and his church is the moon reflecting the sun. Now watch this. The moon is made up of over 50% of a material that is made as like a mirror to reflect. That's why when the sun hits the moon, it looks, you know, it's got that light in it. Because literally the makeup of the moon is made out of material that is like a mirror that reflects the light of the sun. So God is a sun and a shield. You are the moon to reflect that light or to manifest that glory. So he comes in you first to manifest that light. You are the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under your feet, pregnant with a man-child, and the man-child is Jesus. You are manifesting him in the earth. You've got an understanding of the noonday, and you've got the, come on, the ruler of the night under your feet. Give God some praise. So all of this prophetic language that we read about in the Word of God has spiritual truth to it. Everything that God created, He created so that you might understand and know Him and His purpose and also His people in the earth. 
For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So the sun, S-U-N, is a symbol of God. Praise the Lord. In Malachi 4.2, But unto you that fear my name, watch this, those that fear his name, shall the, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Literal translation, he's going to arise. There's going to be a rising. It's going to be like he's going to bring in the new day. Are you with me here? And there's going to be healing in his wings or literally healing in his beams. Healing in his beams like the rays of the sun. So he says, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So it's a picture of the new day coming in. And it's a symbol of his what? His coming. So the son speaks to you of God himself and also his coming to bring in the new day. Praise God. Isaiah 61, he says this to the church. Arise, shine, for thy light is come. The day of the Lord. Day. Are you with me? God defines day or light. Light as day and day as light. He says, arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Takes you back to Revelation 12. The woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet. Heavy with child, about to be delivered with a man child. Are you with me here? Okay. He's telling us today, rise, shine. Reflect him. Manifest the king. Reflect the glory. Manifest the glory. Of course, glory is different from his presence. His presence is one thing, but his glory is his manifest presence. So he wants you to arise and shine. For thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. So there is a day of the Lord for us right now. Watch this. Luke 178. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And this is in the Gospels. This is when Jesus came. And the Bible said we have God bursting into time. God has visited us. So in a sense when Jesus came, it was the day of the Lord because he was bringing in the new day or the new age. It's God bursting into time. And so he says this, that he hath visited us. The day spring from on high hath visited us so when Jesus came that was a day of the Lord verse 79 to give light he came the first time his first advent to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace Woo, give God some praise 2nd Peter 1 19 we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise where? In your hearts. You're not getting this, are you? He said the days, the day's going to dawn and the day star's going to arise where? inside of a people 
See, we have the day of the Lord. We've experienced it spiritually right now. Glory to God. Revelation 1.16, and he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Give God some praise. Now, let's go back to the beginning of the day of the Lord. Genesis 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And then it says, the Lord God sanctified it unto himself. So literally, the day of the Lord is the day that he sanctified unto himself. The day of the Lord is the seventh day. All those previous days before it, one through six days, were also, in a sense, the days of the Lord. But the seventh day is the particular day that God says was his day. It's the Lord's day, if you will. And so the book of Revelation is not the first time it occurs. It occurs in the book of Genesis. It has to. Because Revelation is the ultimate fulfillment of everything that God started in the book of Genesis. So what is the day of the Lord then? The day of the Lord is the seventh day. The Sabbath day. And it points to a future seventh millennium. Or the kingdom of God. When it says the Lord God The Bible said on the seventh day he ended his work which he had made. He rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And then he sanctified it unto himself. When it says he rested, it literally means he is enthroned. He's finished the work. He's finished the creation. Now he rises up to sit upon his throne. When you talk about the rest of God, you're talking about God enthroned. You're talking about God sitting on the throne. Give God praise. So the seventh day then is the day of the Lord or the Lord's day. Matthew 12 verse 8 it says, For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. So he's the Lord of the seventh day. So the day of the Lord is the seventh day. Mark 2.28 says this, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath So he is the, what? Are you with me here? The seventh day then is that particular day that the Lord sanctified unto himself and called it his day. Luke 17, 22. He said unto his disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and shall not see it. Say days of the Son of Man. Now, let me go to Luke 17. I want to read one, uh, another verse there. Luke 17, watch this. Are you getting the point here? See, you've got to go back to the beginning to understand the ending. Luke 17, 22. And I just read that to you. Praise God. Verse 24. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day and i've already told you what day that is he is the lord of the sabbath day so it's the seventh day amen genesis 131 and god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and the evening and the morning were the sixth 
day. So what we have, then we talk about the day of the Lord. We're talking about the seventh day. But all these days before that were, in a sense, days of the Lord. But the day of the Lord is the seventh day. Are you with me? It's specifically called his day. Woo. Now, watch this. Watch this. It tells us that God saw everything that he had made. So when you talk about the day of the Lord, you're talking about God in his throne. You're talking about God coming in clouds. You're talking about God bursting in time. You're talking about God in judgment. You're talking about God seeing. You're talking about God assessing his creation. So each one of those days, in a sense, was a day of the Lord because he assessed those days. He judged them. He saw them. All right? You with me here? And then the seventh day he sanctified it unto himself. So the day of the Lord is a time when God assesses his creation. He looks out over his creation and he assesses it. It's time for judgment. Praise God. And it's a time that he's entered into rest and he's sitting on his throne. Now, 1 Chronicles 28.2, it says, Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant was God's throne in the Old Testament. And, God, and David said, I wanted to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So rest is connected with the throne. It's connected with God sitting on his throne. Are you with me? He goes on and he says this, and for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. So it speaks of enthronement. Rest speaks of enthronement. It speaks of the finished work. And the finished work was when? The cross. So the cross was a day of the Lord. Got it? Okay, well, I'll put this all together in just a minute. I'm going through the scriptures so you know where I'm getting all this, okay? Isaiah eleven ten. And in that day shall there be a root of Jesse... Which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Now when's that going to happen? Well ultimately in the book of Revelation you have an ultimate fulfillment to the day of the Lord. But watch this. He tells us that we can experience it right now. That we don't have to wait for the physical literal seventh millennium to come in. But in the spirit, you can experience it now. Hebrews 4.10 says this. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. When you stop doing your own thing is when you enter and you start doing God's thing is when you enter into his rest. As long as you're doing your own thing, you have not yet entered into the rest of God. And you may be the people of God, but you haven't made it to the throne room dimension. It's only when you stop doing your own thing and find out what he's already done and start doing that, that you enter into his rest. He's already done everything. It's already finished from the foundation of the world. Everything he will ever do, he's already finished it. So you cease from your own labors just as he did. He ceased from his labors and entered in, he sat on the throne. And so when we enter into that place of the throne room dimension, 
We are resting in God and we see what it's already done. It's already finished. It's completed. Watch when Adam woke up after being created on the sixth day. He woke up and he entered into the rest of God. When he got up, everything was already done for him. It was already finished. The seventh day following the sixth day after his creation, he got up, he entered into that. All he had to do was just rest in what God had already done. And of course that was lost in the Garden of Eden, but Jesus brought it back. The seventh day rest that God provided for man in the Garden of Eden was lost by sin. So Jesus has to come back. He has to come and bring in what? The new day. He has to bring in the Sabbath day. He has to bring in the rest. And it's not just about a physical day. Jesus is the Sabbath day. Jesus is the seventh day. He said that he was what? The fulfillment to the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee is seven times seven Sabbaths. He's seven times better than the Sabbath. He brought in completion. He is the Sabbath day. Are you with me right now? Give God praise. We are to enter into his rest. It's a person you enter into. Not a day, so to speak. All right, now watch. The day's coming literally. But now it's in the spirit. Watch this. Okay, verse four, verse three. Chapter four of Hebrews, verse three. For we which have believed do enter into rest. And that's connected with what day? The seventh day. And he says this. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. He said, all the works I'm ever going to do is already done. Give God some praise. And so he's telling you that in the spirit, you don't have to wait for a literal seventh millennium to come before you can experience the rest of that day. He brought it in. He brought it in by salvation. By the work of the cross, by the finished work. In Hebrews 4 and verse 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his work. So he takes you back to the seventh day. He takes you back to the day of the Lord. And he says you can enter into it now. You see in the spirit it's not tomorrow. The Holy Ghost doesn't say tomorrow when he comes. The Holy Ghost says today. In the spirit, it's always today. But you know why? Because the work's already finished. God. All you got to do is enter into it. So the book of Genesis is the first literal day of the Lord that we have. And then Jesus brought in the day of the Lord and fulfilled it. And now he's offering that day to you or rest today. He's breaking into time. He's, when Jesus came, he's God bursting into time. When Jesus came, he brought in the age to come. You're not hearing me. When Jesus came the first time, he brought in the age to come in the spirit. The age to come is already here. We haven't experienced it in its ultimate sense yet, but it's already here because God's burst into time. The day star. <laughs> Has come for those that are sitting in darkness to have light right now. 
to bring what? Salvation to those that believe. And judgment upon the wicked. Now watch. Hang with me here just a minute, all right? For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest from the seventh rest the seventh day from all his work. So it's spiritually available today. Say today. So now rest today is pointing to the rest in the ultimate sense that's going to come. There's an ultimate sense. Give God some praise. And I'm in Genesis, right? Okay, watch this. I, Hebrews there, but I'm going back to Genesis. Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Even Adam's name has four letters in it, and Eve's name has three. So you put those two together, and you've got seven letters in Adam and Eve. So even in the names of Adam and Eve, you have the planted purpose of God laid out for you. Give God some praise. But the rest is available to the woman, the church, Eve. Brought it in in the fifth day, and the sixth day, and the seventh day. Her name has three letters. Fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. Now, why is this significant to us? Because on your calendar right now, if we have not already begun the seventh day literally, we are about to begin the seventh day literally. So it's very significant for us because we've already entered into it spiritually, but we're on the verge of seeing it come to pass physically and literally because right now, if we've already begun the seventh millennium, it's 6,004. If we go by our calendar, 6,004. So we're already in the seventh day. And if it hasn't started yet, that means it, it will soon. You know, it depends on the calendar you're using. But I'm telling you, we're about to see it not only spiritually, but we're living in the hour and the time when God's going to bring in it literally and bring it into an ultimate fulfillment. Give God some praise. It's His day. Man's day is about to stop or be ceased. And God's going to bring in his day literally and physically. Now watch this. Genesis 3, 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Literally one translation says, they heard the Lord God walking in the spirits of the day. One translation is they heard him walking in the wind of the day. That's why when God broke in here Wednesday night and started talking to us about being the people of the wind. And we speak the language of the wind. He tied this all together in the book of Acts with what happened in the book of Genesis. Now watch. He comes walking in the cooler garden in the spirit of the day. Hallelujah. To do what? To have relationship with man. To have fellowship with man. Praise God. But man had fallen. Man had sinned against God and lost the rest. Because of sin. Now, when the Lord comes, watch this. He's coming in the spirit of the day. Or he's coming in the day of the Lord. It's a day of the Lord type manifestation. If you think that when God showed up that day in Genesis 3 in the garden, that he came there whispering. You know, kind of like people have preached it before. It's like the Zephyr. And God's just walking in the garden real quietly. And he shows up there and he starts whispering to Adam. 
Well, art thou Adam? That's not what's happening here because he's coming in the spirit of the day. It's a day of the Lord type manifestation. When he comes in, he's coming in clouds. He's coming in a glory cloud. He's coming to assess. He's coming to judge. He's coming in fire. He's coming with a deafening sound, a deafening noise coming forth. He's coming to that garden. And when he's coming to that garden, it sounds like a train. Sounds like a tornado. Sounds like a rushing mighty wind. It, there's fire there. There's a deafening sound there. The cherubim are flapping their wings as he is riding upon his throne, the Merkabah. They are, boy, it's loud. Sound like a train came into the garden right then. It wasn't your, your tiptoe through the garden. God was coming in glory. God was coming in fire. God was coming to assess. God was coming to see. God was coming to judge. Come on, somebody. You with me right here? He's coming in the spirit of the day. So the day of the Lord is not just something that's in the future. It's something that's in the past. It has to be in the past. Give God some praise. When he came in there... He came with all that blinding light, the glory of God. In Exodus 13, 21, watch this. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud. So he's coming in a cloud to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. To his covenant people, it's salvation. To his covenant people, he's light. But to the wicked, when he comes like that, he comes in darkness and wrath upon them. Watch this. Okay, we read that in Exodus 13. You got that, 21? Okay. But watch what it says about the wicked, Exodus 14, 20. And it came, talking about the cloud, came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel and it was a cloud and darkness to them but it gave light by night to these so that one came not near the other all night so when God burst in the time as a day of the Lord type manifestation he can do that anytime why can he do that anytime? Because in the spirit, it's already done. So in time, he can come at any time as a day of the Lord type move. Because in the spirit, it's finished. And so in Genesis, he comes as a day of the Lord type move. And now in Exodus, when he brings his people out of Egypt and saves them, he's coming as the day of the Lord, light to save them. But darkness to the wicked and wrath to the wicked. And he's in the cloud. His name is in the cloud. He is the cloud. And we preach the first, a message of the book of Revelation in, the same, in Revelation 1. Five names in the cloud. So his name is in the cloud. You got to hear what I'm saying today. So for the wicked, it's darkness. It says this, but it gave light by night to those so that the one came not near the other all night. Give God some praise. 
<laughs> now turn back to in your Bibles to Amos 5. Let me show you something. We have the day of the Lord in Genesis. And then in Amos 5, we have the first mention of the term day of the Lord. Not the first occurrence. In the day of Amos, the people were already familiar with the day of the Lord. They already understood the day of the Lord. It was not something new to them. In fact, Amos says it was, in, it was going to come in their day. And Joel said it was going to come in their day. Watch this. Amos 5. Minor prophet Amos 5 tells us this. Man, I tell you, the Lord is awesome. His word is awesome. Amos 5 and verse 18. He looks at God's people. And he says to them, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Why are they desiring the day of the Lord? Because for the righteous, it means light and salvation. It's protective. So they're wanting the day of the Lord to come. Because they understand the term. It's not new to the, the day of Amos. It's been around a long time. It's the day of his rest. It's the day of salvation. It's the day of glory. It's the day of his coming. It's the day when he burst into time. It's when God brings salvation to the believer. And judgment to the wicked. It's when he manifests himself in glory and fire and scorching heat. And a sound that is deafening beyond your comprehension. So they want God to come and manifest himself in their midst and bring light like that. But Amos says to them, he says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Now that's strange. Because the day of the Lord should be what? Day is light. But he said, it's not light to you, but it's darkness to you. What he's telling them is this. You are the covenant people of God. But because you have turned your back on God, now you have become his enemy. And because you have become his enemy, the day of the Lord to you, in your day, it's not going to be a time of salvation and light and glory and protection. But it's going to be darkness for you because you have become his enemy. And that's what the day of the Lord is to his enemies. Come on somebody. And the church world today needs this message. Because many of them have departed from God. And they're standing there saying, oh I can't wait for Jesus to come. I can't wait for the day of the Lord to come. They don't understand because they departed from him. That for them it's going to be great darkness and wrath and judgment. It's not once saved, always saved. You've got to shake yourself and understand. That these were the covenant people of God who had turned their back on God. And because of that, now, he says, it's darkness to you and not light. Give God some praise, church. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. They had become God's enemies. Now, Joel, right, let me go to Obadiah. Let's just do the Obadiah. Okay, watch this. No, I got I to gotta tell you something about Joel. Joel, I read to you about when God comes in clouds. And it talked about him coming in fire and judgment. Remember that, Joel? Two. When you look at Amos, Amos connects it to his day. The day of the Lord to his day, historically. 
So we have beginning and progressive fulfillment. And then Joel speaks of the day of the Lord when God sends his mighty army against his people. It wasn't the devil hitting his people. It was God's army. If it was the devil, God was using him to judge his people. And in the context of Joel, in his day, a locust, a, a large locust, what do you call it? Swarm, thank you. A large swarm of locusts hit that land and devastated that land. And Joel called that the day of the Lord. And then he connects the day of the Lord with the outpouring of the Spirit. And he talks to them. He talks about salvation to the righteous, but judgment to the wicked. And he connects it with the pouring out of the Spirit of God. And he's talking about what's happening to them is, is a foreshadowing of the ultimate day of the Lord. When the prophets preached the day of the Lord, to them it wasn't just some future time. To them it was in their day. Give God some praise. What is the day of the Lord to you? He don't say what's the day of the Lord to that generation down there in the future in the ultimate sense. He said what is the day of the Lord to you? It's darkness and not light. Give God some praise in this house. The Lord is in his holy temple. So the wicked are annihilated in Joel and the righteous are saved. No, Obadiah 15. He talks about the day of the Lord and he brings it in connection not just to his covenant people Israel and Judah but Obadiah 15 he says this for the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen as thou hast done it shall be done unto thee thy reward shall re return upon thine own head he tells them right there in his day come on that the Lord's judgment is near upon all the heathen God can bring a day of the Lord type manifestation Anytime upon individuals and upon nations, anytime, but it's not the ultimate fulfillment that we're talking about there. It's God bursting into time and manifest Himself in a day of the Lord type manifestation. Give God some praise. See, some people think that the wrath of God cannot be poured out until you know that future seven year tribulation period or the day of the Lord beyond that. I got news for you. That's not true. God can pour out his wrath on an individual anytime. And God can pour out his wrath on a nation anytime. But it's not the ultimate fulfillment of it. I showed you he already did it in Genesis. In Amos and in Joel's day, he did it. And all that foreshadowed a future time. Now watch this. Zephaniah 1.7. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It's at hand. It's within reach. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guest. So we see the judgment upon the wicked here. He said he's prepared a sacrifice. This gets real heavy. I'm giving you just a basic here. It would take us days and months to, to teach you everything about the day of the Lord. I'm giving you foundational truth here. Very basic. He has a sacrifice, the Bible said. The Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guest. One, the cross. And then ultimately, when he defeats the Antichrist called Leviathan, 
the seven-headed dragon with me here, and behemoth. There's going to be a feast of Leviathan in the day of the Lord. And so that is a sacrifice. But not only that, in the tribulation period, his people are going to be persecuted. There's one sacrifice yet to be made. Jesus' body died on the cross. But there's one sacrifice yet to be made, and that's you. And I'm telling you right now, if you think you're going to escape that by a pre-trip rapture, I've been, I, listen to me, I, you know I preached pre-trip for 24 years. But I'm here to tell you right now, we have looked at the Word of God and compared Scripture with Scripture and words with words. And we have found out that the church is going to go in the seven-year tribulation period. We won't experience the wrath of God, but we will not be saved from the persecution of Antichrist. And I proved it to you by the Word. I'm going to try to do some of it today. Give God some praise. That's why people who are playing games in this hour are in great danger. Because they have no idea what's about to take place. Malachi 4, 5. He says this. Now as to the timing. Well, let's just look at this. Okay, watch this. What I want to do is now I'm going to take you from Genesis and the prophets the beginning of the day of the Lord, and then the prophets, Amos and Joel, days of the Lord. And I want to take you to the time of Jesus. And I want to show you that the day of the Lord took place at the cross. Malachi 4, in verse 5, he says, Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. In Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus experienced what? The wrath of God. All those seal judgments and, and trumpet judgments and bowls of wrath, Jesus experienced on the cross. The day of the Lord took place at the cross. Watch, I'm going to prove it to you. Did not Jesus experience the wrath of God on the cross? Yes, which means all that that's going to happen in connection with the day of the Lord. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Watch this. In Jesus' death on the cross, the wrath of God came on him. He was judged in our place so that we might receive salvation. So that we might receive mercy and grace and not his wrath. The wrath of the day of the Lord fell on him so that he could extend to us mercy, grace, and salvation. See the connection there? Watch. He says this, that Elijah would come before the great and notable day of the Lord come. Well, did that happen in the days of Jesus? Watch this. Matthew eleven fourteen, And if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. And he's talking about John the Baptist. And he said, John the Baptist, if you can receive it, uh, is Elias, which was to for to come. So John, come on, watch this. John walks in the spirit and power of Elijah. And Malachi said he would come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Jesus says, John, is that Elijah in your day? Luke 1, 17. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So what we have is, again, 
God bursting into time in Jesus Christ bringing in the age to come the dawning of a new day Jesus is God manifesting the flesh he's the day star from on high that's breaking into their darkness and Elijah is John the Baptist preaching and preparing the way of the Lord come on somebody are you kidding this See, see, the difficulty in preaching this is you've never heard it like this before. So it's hard for you to swallow, but it's in the book. It's in the book. It's in the book. So that the day of the Lord is in Genesis, and the day of the Lord is in Amos, and the day of the Lord is in Joel, and the day of the Lord is in John the Baptist day, and the day of the Lord is in Jesus day, and the day of the Lord is in the church, and the day of the Lord is the future ultimate coming of Jesus. He's bringing in a new day. Psalm 88, 7. That, now, here's what, this is a messianic psalm. This is what Jesus says when he's hanging on the cross. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me. Thou hast afflicted me with all thy ways. So that we could be saved from his wrath, he experienced the day of the Lord on the cross. Give God praise. And because he experienced the wrath of God on the cross, now we can experience what? Light. Salvation. Mercy, forgiveness, because of what he did on the cross. And he said, even on the cross, it is finished. And that connects you with the seventh day. Because the seventh day is the day of his rest. And he said, it's finished. The work's complete. And when you have a completed work, you have a rest. And so now, watch this. In Acts 2. You have experienced the age to come. You have experienced the day of the Lord in the spirit. Acts 2 verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. And then he connects it with Joel. Acts 2.16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see vision. And your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaids, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above. And signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come and Jesus when he's hanging on the cross the sun was darkened give God some praise and that's when he defeated world powers that's when the natural sun was darkened when he died on the cross he defeated earthly rulers when he died on the cross he defeated come on somebody the sun and the moon was darkened. So, and the Bible goes on and says, he experienced the pangs of death. And the word, it's in the, in the King James says pains, but it's literally pangs or birth pangs. And birth pangs are connected with the day of the Lord. And he experienced the birth pangs, which is the day of the Lord. So that you could what? Be saved. 
Now watch this. For the righteous, it's salvation and light. For the wicked, it's darkness and judgment. And so Jesus' death on the cross defeated the enemy. Now is the judgment of the prince of this world. Come on, somebody. He's already been judged. Watch this now. But for us, the people who believe, day of the Lord has come. He's brought in the age. He's burst into time. He's now filled you with the Holy Ghost. He's filled you with his spirit. You're speaking with other tongues. As the spirit gives the utterance, you have the language of the wind. He's come to you in the spirit of the day, the spirit of the wind, and he has brought rest to you in the spirit and now you're filled with the glory of God and you've got the fire of God setting upon your head in the book of Acts and you've got a sound a rushing mighty wind that's coming forth a deafening sound you've got light and glory and scorching heat and the wind and your body's become the temple of the Holy Ghost you now have become the holy of holies of God himself and it's based on the finished work. Now watch Acts 15, 15. And to this degree, the words of the prophet has written, he's talking about the Gentiles coming to the church in Acts 15. And he said, and to this degree, the words of the prophet said, is written. He quotes Amos in Acts 15. And he brings it into the church age. The tabernacle of David has been restored. And I'm looking at the tabernacle of David where God's throne was sitting in the tabernacle of David and there was no blood sacrifice given there because the blood sacrifice had already been made. So now what they do is bring spiritual sacrifice of praise and worship and 24 hours a day they worship God and they can literally go into the presence of the throne unlike the tabernacle of Moses, the high priest, the only one that could. And he quotes the prophet of Amos and said, Jesus is brought in the new day. Are you getting the point? Amos is the one who said, who, what is it to you who desire the day of the Lord? And, and uh, Acts, they're quoting it. Okay, Malachi 4.5. Watch this. Now, I'm going to get deal in the ultimate sense. And I'm going to come to a close here. Praise God. In an ultimate sense. So you got me. Are you with me at this point? Amen. That the day of the Lord is a, has a beginning past it has a present fulfillment and it has an ultimate future fulfillment we have not seen the ultimate future fulfillment yet concerning the day of the Lord but I don't have to wait for the physical to come because the spirit has already brought it in now watch this let me talk to you about the ultimate day of the Lord the day of the Lord is an ultimate fulfillment in its ultimate fulfillment what you need to do is take all the previous and bring it into this. Don't throw it away. Carry it with you into the ultimate. Do you understand? I will tell you this right now, okay? That to me, the cross is the ultimate fulfillment of the day of the Lord. That everything that happened before the cross and will happen after the cross is a foreshadowing of the cross. Do you understand that? I believe that with all my heart. That he is the center and circumference of all history. That what happened at the cross, the finished work, his death, burial, and resurrection is the center and circumference of all history. It's, it's where all history 
flows out from and it's to which all history points to. It's my conviction that that is the ultimate day of the Lord. But in time in the future, we're going to see this manifestation of God that I've been preaching to you about in an ultimate sense. Now watch this. Malachi 4, 5. Let's talk about the timing. Okay? It's patterned in the cross. Let's have the time. Behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. We saw that was fulfilled in the days of Jesus and John the Baptist. But in an ultimate sense, we're going to have two witnesses that rise up in the tribulation period. All right? Now, in the spirit, John fulfilled that role of Elijah in the spirit and power of Elijah. Doesn't necessarily mean those two witnesses, one of them have to be Elijah. They're going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Could be Elijah. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not going to debate that with you. But anyway, notice, behold, I will send Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. When is he coming? When, is, when are those two witnesses going to rise up? In the tribulation period, right? Well, it says that Elijah is going to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So if the seven-year tribulation period is the day of the Lord, that means Elijah has to come before the seven years starts. And the two witnesses are in the end of the book of Revelation in the great tribulation period. And it says God's going to send them before the great notable day of the Lord comes. Which means the seven-year tribulation period is not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is post-tribulational. Got it? All right. Here's some signs concerning the day of the Lord. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Joel 2.31. Acts 2.20. The sun shall be darkened, uh, turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great, before that great and notable day of the Lord come. So we've got signs that tell us things that precede the day of the Lord. Watch this. Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Here it's after the tribulation period that these, these signs are taking place. And I just read to you that these signs take place before the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord is after the seven-year tribulation period. It is not the seven-year tribulation the time of God's wrath, the day of the Lord is after the tribulation period. That's why you don't have to get out of here. You don't have to be pre-trib rapture. Oh, you don't want to hear me, do you? See, I'm, I'm in a very, very uh, blessed position because I preached pre-trib for 24 years till I got in the Bible. Till I found out what the Bible really said. And the day of the Lord is after the tribulation period. That's what the Bible, I just read it to you. And it says Elijah's going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. If the seven year tribulation period is the day of the Lord, then all these signs have to be happening before the seven years. And Elijah has to come before the seven years if the seven years is the day of the Lord. It's not. The two witnesses come at the end of the book of Revelation. And the Bible says after the tribulation is when the sun, etc. And the moon and these, have these signs in the heavens and it's post-tribulational. It's after the tribulation of those days, Matthew 24, 29. Revelation 6, 12. And I beheld, and we did open the sixth seal, and lo, there was great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And that's with the opening of the sixth seal. 
When is this happening? It's connected with the end of the tribulation. That you've got here. The sun becoming black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became as blood. In Revelation 6 you have seven seals. Each one of those seals represent one of the years of the tribulation period. When you get to the sixth seal. You're in the sixth year of the tribulation period. Bringing in the seventh year which is the final year. Are you with me at this point? Now watch this. 6.13 he says. And the stars of heaven have fell into the earth. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs. When she is shaken of a mighty wind. Revelation 6.14. The heaven departed as a scroll. When it is rolled together. And every mountain island were moved out of their places. Got it? Now watch this. So the signs are connected with the end of the tribulation period. The day of the Lord is at the end of the tribulation period. Why? Because the day of the Lord is the seventh day. It's the kingdom age. So you have to have the seven-year tribulation period before the day of the Lord. When he comes in the day of the Lord type manifestation, he's going to come in judgment upon the wicked, but salvation for the righteous. And then he sets up the kingdom or the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord, the kingdom age, is the seventh day, is after the seven years. Now watch. These signs uh, in the heavens extend all the way to Armageddon. So you'll know, watch this, that they are pre, are, are a pre the day of the Lord. Now watch. Isaiah 13, 9, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cool, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate and shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. Watch that. Verse 13, 10, For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Do you see this cataclysmic universe, um, cataclysmic language? Cataclysmic language? Isaiah 13, 11, I will punish the world. I'm having to go fast, by the way. I've got to cover this in about 15 more minutes. He says this. I will punish the world for their evil, the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Isaiah 13, 12. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even a man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Isaiah 13, 13. Therefore, will I shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Okay, watch this. Put you the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, the fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Joel 3, 13. Verse 15. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Watch this. It's connected with the day of the Lord. The Lord also, 3, 16. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Zion, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of Israel. And it's connected with his coming. And we know that when he comes, it's what? Post-tribulational. And the battle of Armageddon is what is seen in Joel 3. And it's connected with what? The signs in the heavens. Luke 17, 24. For as the lightning that lightneth out of the one part of the heaven, shineth unto the other part of the heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. So the seventh day is the day of the Lord. Genesis 2, 1. Thus the heaven and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them... So his day, the day of the Lord, extends into the millennial kingdom. And it's post-tribulational. Watch this. Revelation eleven fifteen, And they, the seventh angel sounded. And, oh, yeah, see, some of y'all are freaking out on me, man. You want pre-trib? You want it so bad? I, I took your sucker out of your mouth, and you can't handle it. You're like a little baby who took my sucker. Oh, 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 oh. 
honey. You get the last five, uh, four messages we've preached on the book of Revelation chapter 1, and you'll see. You, you take it and you study it yourself word for word and chapter for chapter, and you'll find the same terms that are used concerning Jesus' second coming to the earth after the tribulation period is connected with the rapture of the church. I'm, tar- I'm sorry to take your sucker away. <laughs> when does it happen? And the seventh angel sounded, Revelation 7, 15, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So when the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, that's the beginning of the day of the Lord. That's the beginning, come on, when he comes in judgment and wrath on the wicked and salvation for the righteous and sets up his thousand-year day. It starts at the seventh trumpet. Now watch this. Praise the Lord. So in the seven seals, watch, i got to teach it to you. Okay. Revelation 8.1. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half hour. In verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 2. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. In the seventh seal is the seven trumpets. Okay? Are you with me? So when the seventh seal is opened up, beginning the seventh year of the tribulation period, in that seventh seal of the seventh year are seven trumpets and they begin to sound in that last year of the tribulation period one of the trumpets it says they it lasts for five months when you get to the end of the seventh year tribulation period the seventh trumpet begins to sound announcing the setting up of the kingdom of god jesus comes back the seventh trumpet sounds he blows his own trumpet the church is caught up to meet him we're episonago gathered up to meet him after the tribulation of those days matthew 29 24 29 the wicked are judged and then post-tribulational the bowls of wrath are pulled out because when the seventh trumpet sounds after the tribulation period announcing the sin of the kingdom the bowls of wrath are poured out They're, so the first year of the, of the, of the kingdom age you're going to have the bowls of wrath and then the day of the Lord extends right on through the thousand-year kingdom age. Watch this. And by the way, the seventh trumpet is a fulfillment of Rosh Hashanah, not the day of atonement. So you got to be careful what you read. I read a book on the feast of the Lord in the, in, in the line of prophecy. And in that book, they categorically state that the great trumpet is connected with the day of atonement. I went in, I've got the liturgy of the services on my, in my bookcase right now. And I found no trumpet called the great trumpet in connection with the day of atonement. It was connected with Rosh Hashanah. And so the seventh trumpet, when the Lord sounds that seventh trumpet, that is a fulfillment of Rosh Hashanah. After that, then you have the day of the Lord and the day of atonement is connected with that and it's post-tribulational. Give God some praise. So we see those seven trumpets are the plagues of the Lord. Revelation 9, 20, the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of their works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass, stone and wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. They are called plagues. They are killed by these plagues. Revelation 15, 1, and I saw another sign in heaven, great marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. These are the bowls of wrath. For in them is filled up the wrath of God. Last plagues, the wrath of God. You got it? Revelation 21, 9, and there came unto me the seven angels which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come up hither. I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. First Thessalonians 4, 15 says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the perusia of the Lord 
shall not prevent them which are asleep or the coming of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the last trumpet. And it's post-tribulational. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, <laughs> in the clouds, to meet Apentasius, to meet the Lord in the earth, which means literally to go and meet him, escort him back into the earth. Going to meet royalty and bringing royalty back to the earth to meet the Lord. Apentasis. First Thessalonians 5 2. For, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. It's not Jesus' pre tribulational rapture that's coming as a thief in the night. The Bible says the day of the Lord's coming as a thief in the night. Just, just let it roll. Let it roll. I, just let it roll. I'm almost done. To my directors out there. <laughs> Let it roll. See we've heard that the thief in the night is when Jesus comes and secretly catches his church away. That's not what your Bible says. Your Bible says that the day of the Lord is a thief, he's the thief in the night. That is when he comes and catches his bride away. But it's not pre-tribulational. It's post-tribulational. The, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And it's post-tribulational. Revelation 16.15. Behold I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments. Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Revelation 16. That statement is made that he's coming as a thief. And is connected with the sixth and seventh seal. He still hasn't come as a thief in the night when you get to Revelation 16, 15. He still hasn't come as a thief in the night by the sixth seal of the book of Revelation. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Matthew 24, 13. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man great glory. And what is it? It's post-tribulational. It says after the tribulation of those days. 24, 29. 24, 31. He shall send his angels with a great sound or the great trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect, Episanago, to gather upwardly his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And it's the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4 when it talks about our gathering together unto him, Episanago. And, and it talks about his coming here. It's his parousia. The parousia is that same word is used in 1 Thessalonians 4 and chapter 5. And first Thess uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 says that when he parousias, he's going to destroy the Antichrist. So I gathered an episode to him, Apentasius to meet him, to bring him back to the earth, is connected with the destruction of the Antichrist, and it's post-tribulational. Matthew 24, 31, and I'm, I'm through. Whew, that's, praise God. I covered over 100 scriptures, I think, this morning. That, and I had to hurry doing it. 24, 31, he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. That's that last trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So what does it do? What does that trumpet do? It announced the beginning of the day of the Lord. It is the fulfillment of the feast of trumpets, the great trumpet, the judgment of the wicked, salvation of the saints, light for the, for the saved, dark for the wicked, establishes the kingdom, rest on his throne, coming in clouds, glory cloud, 
Blinding light, deafening sound, fiery judgment, collapsing universe, scorching heat, protection for the saved. That's why I'm telling you that at his second coming, that seventh trumpet right there, he brings in the day of the Lord. It's salvation for the righteous and wrath for the wicked. Having, now watch this. Here's the good news in the spirit. Having been to the finished work of the cross, the day of the Lord, back in that day, the finished work speaks of rest. The seventh day is linked to the cross by the finished work. We obtain mercy. We are filled with the spirit, the glory, the fire. We are immortalized and then caught up the clouds coming back with him to Armageddon. Let me explain what I just said. <laughs> I'm looking at people who have the age to come in them. I'm looking at people who have the day of the Lord in them. I'm looking at people who have the sound of the day in them. The wind of the day in them. The fire of the day in them. In fact, to, be, to blow your mind here, I am sounding a trumpet. And there is an appearing of the Lord today. Every time there's a sounding of a trumpet, there's an appearing of the Lord. And it's not just future, but it's right now. And whenever there's a prophetic voice in the house that goes forth, there is always an appearing of Jesus. But in the ultimate sense, they're at the end of the tribulation period. Watch this. The seventh trumpet sounds. When that sounds, that's when we're changed. And we put, he that dwells in unapproachable light, he alone hath immortality. Your body's changed when that trumpet sounds. So that when the wrath of God is poured out in the bold judgments, you don't experience the wrath of God. You'll be protected not by a pre-trib rapture or a mid-trib rapture. You'll be protected by an immortal body. And sometime post-tribulational, when he gathers his elect unto himself, Matthew 24, 29, that immortality will be caught up, but it's in stages. It starts with the two witnesses, because the two witnesses of, of Israel have to be there before he takes his bride. In a Jewish feast, the witnesses have to be there. So he takes his witnesses, then he takes the 144,000. Revelation 14 says they're standing on Mount Zion. And then the remainder of the church is caught up. It's in stages. But you won't have to worry about it, because you'll be immortalized. And when I say worry about it, I'm talking about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord and the bowls of His wrath that are post-tribulational will be followed by the wine press of the wrath of God Almighty. And we'll be caught up to meet Him. We'll escort Him to the battle of Armageddon. Now that's in your Bible. And that is the day of the Lord. Beginning, progressively, and ultimately. Defined first. Then progressively seen, and then ultimately fulfilled. He which was, which is, and which is to come. God is eternal. He can come into time anytime he wants to and bring a day of the Lord type manifestation. He can take his prophets in the spirit and they can say, wow, the day, this is the day of the Lord. Why? Because it's already finished. In time, they weren't in the ultimate fulfillment, but in the spirit, they walked right in there and saw it. And took terminology in an ultimate sense and applied it to their day because it's finished in the spirit. Let's praise God. Father God, I thank you right now for your awesome spirit. <clears throat> I give you glory. I give you honor. I give you praise. I give you worship. I thank God for the truth. 
I don't want to be like that servant at the end of Matthew 24 that says, my Lord delays his coming. He thought it was pre-tribulational. And he said, my Lord delays his coming. But in Revelation, the Bible says in chapter 10, there shall be time no longer, no more delay. And it's connected with the setting up of the kingdom. So I'm telling you right now, church, to get ready. If you're in the age that's going to see the seven-year tribulation period, I'm telling you, and I'm not God. God can do what he wants to whenever he wants to. If he wants to rapture his pre-trib, that's, that's his business, not mine. But I'm telling you, by looking at the word of God, that's not what the word teaches. It doesn't teach it. So I'm telling you, church, don't walk. If you get caught in the tribulation period, don't say, well, the Lord's delaying, delaying is coming. And go out and be a hypocrite and eat and drink and, and play with the world and everything else. He's going to come on that person as a thief in the night and catch him by surprise. And he's going to appoint that hypocrite judgment. And so I'm telling you today, the church needs to wake up all across America. All across America. And I'm not going to just preach to the church across America. I'm preaching to you. We need to wake up as a church because there's a lot of people preaching things that are going to cause the slaughter of the sheep. Because you find yourself in the tribulation period and you thought it was pre-trib. You might be deceived and thinking the rapture had already come and you were left behind. And so you say, what's the use? And you quit walking with God. You said, my Lord delays his coming. I tell you, God's trying to wake the church up. He's trying to wake us up. We're too carnal. We're too worldly. We're too, we're too close to this earth. And I'm telling you right now that we're going to have to have a real walk with God. So keep coming. Praise the Lord. And we'll, we're teaching you a general overview of prophecy. Five messages in chapter one. But we're fixing to get into detail in all the book of Revelation. And we're going to teach it verse by verse. And we'll lay out the timings of events for you. And we're going to teach it to you so you'll understand. So if you find yourself in that seven-year tribulation period, which is not the day of the Lord, You'll say, yep, that's right. Let me see. Let me get my chart. No, let me get my Bible. Get my Bible out. Oh, yeah, okay. Yep, that's okay. The next thing to happen will be this. Matthew 24. Remember the outline to it? It's found in Daniel 7, Matthew 24, and Re Book of Revelation. What do you have? You have a general overview of prophecy first. Then you have what? The persecution of the saints. Then you have the destruction of the beast, the Antichrist, and the wicked. And you have the setting up of the kingdom. In that order. Daniel 7, Matthew 24, and the book of Revelation. Let me run it by you again. Let me go get your lollipop. Study for yourself. Daniel 7, Matthew 24, and Revelation. You have general overview of prophecy. Persecution of the saints. Did you hear that? You had the destruction of the beast and the setting up of God's kingdom. The coming of the Lord and setting up of, God, of his kingdom. And that's the day of the Lord. You can't miss it. The, the only way that we, we can miss it and have missed it is because interpretation. And it's called eisegesis. It's called reading into the scripture things that are not there. 
we're preaching exegesis. That's why instead of getting up here and just preaching to you, I, you know, I feel like by the grace of God, I could have just preached the whole thing to you without even reading any scripture to you. I know I can. But I wanted you to get the word. I wanted you to get scripture by scripture by scripture by scripture by scripture. And I took the time to do that. That's called exegesis. Letting the Bible tell you what it says. So anyway, if nothing else, got some of you thinking. Got some of you going to go study. Praise God. Love you. See you tonight. Praise God. If this didn't do anything for you, Brother Michael, have you in the clouds. And we're holding him to that. <laughs> I love y'all. Isn't God awesome? Give the Lord a hand clap of praise.